Hello, and welcome to a desperate to get laid episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be reviewing 2007 Superbad. We'll jump into five point inspection with Bromance, Uphill, Coming of Age, Dispatch, and Test of Time. Before we do, let's check in on the shop. These eyes, do 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 do, cry every night, do 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 do. Hey, uh, yeah, come on in. What's up, gangster? Uh, I'm headed out for the day. Just wanted to confirm, I am still picking you up around nine tomorrow, right? Pick me up, uh, for what? To drive down to Scottsdale. Arizona. Jesus, you forgot, didn't you? For my sister's charity event, the the animal rescue thing. Uh, you mean the guinea pig rescue? Come on, man, you know that's bullshit. Excuse my language. Uh, I'm just saying, we're not talking about man's best friend here. We all know that that rescue is a joke. No offense to your sister. I'd rather not spend six hours of my weekend riding in a car with you, no offense, uh, to save animals from being shoved up Richard Gere's ass. Dude... Is it because it's my sister? I'm starting to think you might have like a thing for her. Absolutely not. Well, then what is it? Are you embarrassed about that time you pissed your pants? <clears throat> that was like eight years ago, asshole. People don't forget. Tell you what, let's make the drive down and we can review Super Bad on the way. The end of the school year will mark a new era for Seth and Evan, as the two lifelong friends are forced to separate for the first time when they embark for their freshman year of college. In a desperate attempt to make the most of their fleeting time, the two devise a plan to steal booze for a party and plant the seeds of a salacious few months before leaving for their respective schools. Can they go the distance? Or will their friendship go limp by the end of the night? Travis, before we jump into five points, I would love to know your, your quick diagnostic of 2007 super bad. Uh, I feel like every generation has their quote unquote high school movie. Um, I think probably the generation before us probably gravitated towards something like Dazed and Confused, mm -hmm. uh, which I've, I've seen. Have you seen Dazed and Confused? I've seen pieces of it, admittedly, like on a TNT. So like not the way I should have even seen pieces of it. Um. I feel like super bad. No, no, no. So sorry, no, no. I have. I'm sorry. I, not to cut you off. I have seen Dazed and Confused. I was thinking of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No, I've definitely seen Dazed and Confused. <laughs> Which, hey, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like the generation prior to Dazed and Confused, Fast Times was probably mm -hmm. their movie. Um, so I was kind of wondering in my head before going into this movie because I, I had seen it, uh, you know, back when it was released. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was kind of a a landmark movie for our friendship, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering if it held up. I I absolutely think it does. I think yes. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting discussion because I think a lot of this movie would be canceled today. Um, and I would say unjustly so. Um, so, because I'm actually this glad movie's you got brought a lot that. of heart. I would say that. So I, I'll, I'll lay out there and, and leave it to you. 
I, I agree with that. And maybe we'll just go ahead because test of time is where I wanted to get into that whole would it be canceled today. And I think as much as I usually like to hold that to the end, because it's kind of like the more negative side of the, you know, our, our five point here, I think I, it's a natural transition into this. Um, I'll say the same thing echoing you. I <laughs> forgot how much I loved this movie. It had been a while since I'd watched it. And I was almost like laughing out loud almost immediately into the movie. Like I, five minutes in, I just looked over. I'm like, I forgot how much I love this movie. I can't believe it's been this long since I have watched this thing. Um, but I thought the same thing in terms of like, oh, man, like, I don't know. Because, again, admittedly, it's 2007 might have been the last time I watched this movie. So, like, I did not remember a lot of the points of what happens in the movie. So when you first have, you know, Seth, Jonah Hill's character talking about all he wants to do is get girl. He, he's got to get these girls drunk so he has an opportunity to sleep with them. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't remember. Like, this is starting to feel like Duke Lacrosse. Like, I you know, we got to watch out like where this goes. But I think Evan does a decent job of kind of being the the other side of that coin where it's like no we have to respect women like that's a ter terrible thing to do and like counters that were like no that's not acceptable behavior whatsoever um and even to that point i think by the end of the story we realize like that's not the way to get girls like i think the story actually gets to the point where like that's not where it should be and and that's where i think it'd be interesting to see if this movie would be canceled today because i think that context adds a lot to it where i think even when we talked about the last generation, you know, the last trilogy where we were laughing at Nazis, it's like it's okay to laugh at Nazis and have Nazi jokes if the point is like to make fun of it and be like, this is not acceptable behavior. We're mocking what it is. And that's how I felt with this movie. It's like, even though there's things that Seth definitely does and says in this movie that's like, oh my God, that's not appropriate at all i feel like it's it's almost in in mocking him for having that kind of you know interpretation on life and then by the end of the movie he realizes that that's a flawed way of looking and then i'm like okay i don't know if some of these jokes would be canceled again as long as it's through the lens of like this is a satire and this is not acceptable behavior like this is not a a blueprint of how you should act and operate in the real world yeah and this will be a very random selection but just because you brought up nazis I can't believe I'm about to say this, but <laughs> take a movie like American History X with Edward Norton. Have you seen mm -hmm. that? Yes. That's not a pro-Nazi movie. There, there's a lot of Nazi imagery. There's a lot of white supremacist, you know, imagery in that movie. But ultimately, the message of the movie is that's a wrong way to think about things. And I think Superbad does the same thing. Yes. If you just isolate any part of the first hour of this movie you're like wow yeah this this created a terrible culture that's why it's important to actually watch the movies and not just fall into hey i'm gonna isolate a scene because ultimately yeah uh seth and evan both of them have a little bit of a, a misguided approach on you know relationships sex by the end of the movie it's clear that i don't even think either one of them uh specifically the character that jonah hill plays I don't think he actually believes in anything that he's saying, because when the time comes, both of them are the best way I can say it is they're they're morally sound in, in the mm -hmm. way that they go about things. So, yeah, maybe we're putting the cart in front of the horse as far as one of our five points. But, yeah, I think at at the end of the day, the reason this movie is excellent is because it has all of the, the typical early 2000s high school shit. But it's got a heart. It, morally, mm. it, it's a sound movie. Yep. The, 
in watching it in, in retrospect, the only joke that I'm not quite sure would make it if the script was approached today is the faggle line. And I'm like, I just don't. And even though I'm like, they, you know, it, it's again that satire, like obviously, you know, Jonah Hill's character Seth is being just an, a total asshole. And again, like you don't, whenever he says it, like it's not necessarily funny and it's not one of those like, oh, I, you know, I have a fun, a friend I'm going to call that or something like that. And, you know, um, Fogel eventually gets like his, he, he winds up being the hero of the movie. Like he winds up coming off, you know, uh, the best in terms of the end and, and his arc and all that. Um, but it's still one of those, I just, I couldn't, that was the only one where I was like, I just don't know if this joke or, you know, this, this whole thing of calling him Faggle would, would happen today. Um, even though, again, it goes back to that would be very accurate in high school, again, because you've got 17 and 18 year olds that they don't understand how the real world operates. So to me, it's a very accurate, you know, depiction of how high school is. And for that reason, I'm like, I don't know if you would want to pull that out. But again, it goes back to that. Are we don't laugh at the joke because he's being called, you know, a fag because that's not really funny or appropriate. Again, it's just kind of showing, again, Seth and kind of the atmosphere of being in high school. And and for that, I'm like, I, again, that's one of those where I'm like, I don't know if this would make it or wouldn't make it. Well, let me just say, and this might lead us perfectly into uh, coming of age and, and the 2000s, but I can speak from experience. Um, you know, I'm Travis Santana. The Santana indicates I'm Hispanic. Uh, I graduated from high school in 2003. Uh, I went to a more, I would say, rural, I hate that word, uh, a little bit more of a country setting um, mm -hmm. in high school. My friends, bona fide, I would 100% call them my high school friends, affectionately referred to me as a racial slur. I'll just go ahead and say it, uh, you know, go ahead and trigger warning, whatever. I got called a spick. A lot? Two to three times a day in high <laughs> yeah. school. And it was a term of affection. Now, in hindsight, wow, that's some really backwards thinking. I wonder those people that I considered my friends back then, I wonder what they're doing now. I hope they haven't furthered that agenda. But at the time, the guy that would pick me up for school, because he was a little bit older, called me those names and I, I didn't even think twice about it. So again, it, it's this movie is very much of an era, uh, but it's a realistic depiction of the era. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And to your point, I mean, we'll just roll right into to, to the coming of age in 2000. I'm like, it's crazy how accurate the movie is. And I think it's accurate in what I feel like high school was like in the 2000s, but also just in the sense of what it's like just being a high schooler, because doing a little bit of research for this movie, apparently the original script for this movie, um, Rogan, Seth Rogan and Goldberg actually wrote this script when they were 13 to see if they could write a script. And then obviously over time, it was cleaned up and polished and Judd Apatow got involved with it and kind of because even... He had comments that it was a hysterical comedy, but it lacked a lot of heart and that they needed to balance out. And, and he, I guess, kind of helped them get a little bit more heart into the movie. Um, but what I thought was interesting, like, because to me, I don't know if it's because they wrote it when they were so young and probably modified it, but it does come off as like, this is how high schoolers would have thought and acted as opposed to, and I don't know if it's because it was when they were 13 when they wrote it, as opposed to a 30 or 40 year old trying to write about remembering what high school felt like. And I'm like, I don't know if that's why it feels like a more accurate depiction 
of what was going on or what, but it's like, you know, again, if you're writing this from personal experience as you're experiencing, because again, I guess um, the whole thing when Evan is describing, uh, you know, when Seth, Evan and, and Fogel have that whole, his, you know, they go to the nightclub and it's them getting kicked out of the strip club and they're like, they're drinking with adults and it's just them getting shit faced. Like, apparently that actually happened. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got to talk to adults, you know, I got to hear more <laughs> mature stories. I talked to a man who climbed five mountains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But apparently that was also taken directly from Seth and, and Goldberg. Like that happened when they were 14 years old. So and even the them, uh, Seth and Evan winding up at a, a party where people are doing cocaine, like apparently that was another story where like they wound up trying to see a stand up comedian and somehow wound up in some trailer with people doing blow. And it's like, so there's a certain amount of like, this is a little biographical. Um, I'd say more than the King of Staten Island. Cause I can't, well, you know, resist shitting on that movie. Um, <laughs> but, um, at the same time, like I think there's just so much of it does feel real. Like even the most ridiculous parts are like, this could kind of happen. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's the perfect way to frame this because Staten I King of Staten Island felt very cleaned and sanitized to try to make a movie. Whereas this, yeah, all of the situations, I and maybe because full admission, I was I was not cool in high school. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that I was a nerd that got picked on, but as far as descriptions of the uh, the Friday nights, that was closer to my existence. So yeah, this all felt very authentic. Um, they didn't pull any punches in terms of what it was like to be kind of an uncool seventeen year old. Mm -hmm. To be on the the outside of the social circuits again, not necessarily being the loser everyone picked on, but just also <laughs> not being first in line with anybody else. You know, you're just kind of on the outside. Yeah, the the scene where um I think it's uh it's Evan and he's talking to the girl that he has a crush on and yeah, she's like I haven't seen you at any parties. Like yeah, that's that's very authentic because while I was not at these parties, this is what I was doing. I was hanging out in the basement <laughs> watching porn, you know, <laughs> smuggling some beers. Yeah. Trying to get into strip clubs and immediately getting shut down, but <laughs> if I'm trying to talk to a girl, yeah, I'm I'm massaging that story. Uh, yeah, technically nothing I said was a lie, but uh, it's not exactly as cool as I describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even just to further that, you know, the idea of the coming to the age of that, I just think we we go back to this movie has a lot of heart, and it is interesting because it's that that time period where they are getting ready to leave high school and and head to college, and like you're seeing kind of those relationships getting strained because they're not going to the same place. Um, there's actually a scene that I. I think, I don't know if it's just a callback joke, but I actually took it as like a kind of furthering, you know, the the world that they live in. But there's a whole thing where Evan and Seth are talking and Evan has the condom in the lube and they're talking in the, the liquor store parking lot. And like the whole thing's about like, why would you do this? And like Evan's like, well, I thought it was cool. And Seth is just giving him a hard time and all that. And then later in the movie, like we find out that basically, you know, Seth didn't get into the same school as Fogel and Evan. So Evan and Fogel are going to wind up rooming together. And later in the movie, when Fogel is about to, to get laid, he pulls out condom and lube. And I'm like, oh, my God, like it's a callback joke. But it's also funny because it establishes that, you know, Maybe Evan doesn't want to hang out with Fogel, but there's definitely conversations happening between the two of them outside of Seth because 
to me, that's why Fogel would have the condom and the lube is because Evan told him it was cool to have that. So, like, it's establishing that there's already these conversations and these relationships that are building outside of it that, again, just adds a, another layer of authenticity to the whole thing. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned, I guess that's not technically a callback. That's more of world building. But this movie does do a good job of calling back on itself. The whole, you know, these eyes, that scene, <laughs> if you recall earlier when um, Seth gets hit by the car, mm -hmm. uh, the guy who's driving the car literally calls out that Evan looks like Jimmy's brother. Yeah. And then that leads to the scene later at the party where they want to make him sing. So on top of just being an authentic depiction of high school of this era, I think we both love comedic callbacks. This movie does a good job of subtly inserting those as well. Mm -hmm. Lube well, or just, not, it's inserted. Yeah, and it, it helps to me as a, from a critical standpoint, like it looks like the movie was well thought out. Like, you know, like having those pieces come back and being re-referenced, it's like you might have a throwaway line that winds up being referenced later, but now it, it again, it, it kind of weaves the whole thing together to where it doesn't feel like it's a bunch of loose sketches or anything like that that are, that are being portrayed. It feels like it's an, an active story that's being, you know, uh, told. So did, uh, did you want to jump into uh, <laughs> uh, bromance or... Dispatch. I figure we'll probably hold off uphill. Uphill. We'll probably we'll finish off five points with. Yeah, I I, I did want to delve into bromance, and I just think that it's hard for me to recall a movie that depicted male friendship as well as this movie did. Because yes, they have the back and forth banter. Um, you know, Seth is kind of the the boisterous, you know, talking a, a mile a minute kind of frantic energy, whereas Evan is a little bit more, sub, well, a, a lot more subdued and kind mm -hmm. of kind of the awkward, um, but yet endearing character. The, the chemistry between the two leads in this movie I don't know if I can think of a better depiction of, of male friendship at that age. Well, and beyond um, that, just a, the perfect example of the odd couple, right? Like, I, I can't think of a better example of the odd couple, too, as you're describing the two characters and kind of their personalities. And what I love, too, is if you want to go deeper, the fact that Evan is rooming with McLovin but does not feel comfortable in telling Seth that, and that that is... It's not it's not shoehorned into the movie at all. There's just a couple of quick scenes like uh, when McLovin's like, hey, my mom said that we can have the TV from the basement for our, our room in college. And Evan immediately kind of shushes him and says, hey, stop fucking talking about that. He can hear you. It's the perfect depiction of how. I don't mean to make this a, a bigger thing, but it's almost an example of of toxic masculinity. They don't want to have the conversation. They're so, they have that separation anxiety of, you know, one getting into another college. They don't want to face that head on. And that comes up time and time again, when McLovin's like, Hey, you still haven't told them that we're rooming together. That feels extremely realistic to me. I don't know about oh, you. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just trying to avoid that, that tough conversation. Like if they don't have, if he doesn't have to have the conversation, it doesn't happen. Right. He'll never find out. So, um, I will say to, to your point, I can't think there might be something post super bad, but definitely pre super bad. I can't think of anything that depicts the male relationship as well as it does. And not only that, I will say this is the first time I can remember a movie having two male characters say I love you to each other. Like at the very end where he's like, I love you, man. Like, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. Like, it's almost a commentary of like, why, again, to that whole toxic masculinity type thing. Like, why is it a matter? Like, why do guys have to be, is it so hard for you to be like, no, I love you, man. Like, you're like, like, again, not, not even like that. You know, you have to follow up. Like, you're, you're my bro. I love you. Like, it's just like, no, I love you, man. Like, like, I love you. You're, you're, you're one of my best friends. And you're like, even this, I think kind of spawned because I was looking it up. I love you, man came out two years after this movie and i think this movie kind of i hate to say it kind of opened that up a little bit where it's like it's not that you don't have to make it awkward for you know two i hate heterosexual characters to just have like to love each other like they don't have to be quote-unquote in love or trying to like a lot of this is like they build them around like almost having a relationship like a married couple or again that odd couple but at the end of the day like they're just best friends and like they have those feelings for each other and you don't have to hide that and I, I do think it's it's a beautiful way to end the movie i do think again going back to the comedic thing when they wake up the next morning and it is basically played out like the whole like coyote ugly like oh like we just slept with each other type thing like uh well it's just awkward i'm i'm just gonna go well you, you don't have to we, we can go get breakfast I'm like i <laughs> like i absolutely love how they follow up the next morning because again it plays more into that like they have a relationship right it's and it's it's you can say healthy or whatever you want to say about it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, they both want girlfriends and all that, but they have a relationship and it is a movie very much about their relationship and not having to try and hide from that. And I do, I appreciate that so much about this movie. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, again, I was wondering if the movie would hold up and then I watch it and I'm like, as a mid thirties man, I'm like, yeah, what, what's the big deal about, you know, telling a, another man, a, a friend, any friend, hey, you're important to me. But the movie transported me back to a time where I was like, yeah, in high school, it would have been weird for me to even give a hug to any of my friends. So uh, yeah, and then you brought up a perfect point. This kind of opened the door for I love you, man. I think it no other way to put it. It just normalizes, hey, value your friends. Uh, there's nothing wrong with with having that kind of friendship bond. Um, so I think as, as problematic as this movie is, again, if you, you isolate the use of fag, I mean, I can't imagine how many times that word is uttered in this movie in some variation. But again, it's why it's important to take the movie in in totality, because it's got a really good message at the heart of it. Absolutely. Uh, so with that, I just wanted to talk in you know, dispatch. I wanted to talk about the the cop characters and I think what they essentially were used for in this movie. Um, I would be interested to see if they were in the original script when they wrote this or if this was one of those at a certain point, they couldn't fill an entire two hour movie. Oops, excuse me, with just Seth and Evans relationship. So you wind up having 
this whole kind of side quest or, you know, the side character type thing with Fogel and his relationship with the cops. And, you know, even Fogel's kind of him, you know, coming from being the kid who's being made fun of even by his own friends. And then like even the teachers are like, just like, get get the hell out of the classroom, Fogel. Like he's, he's constantly getting shit on. And then him finding his confidence as he's interacting with these cops and going on these adventures with them. Um, you know, they're definitely used for, I think, some of the more, you know, I hate to say in a comedy, like comic relief, like at certain points to kind of break up and, and add some kind of zaniness to the fact that, you know, the realism of Seth and Evan and what they're going through. Um, but at the same time, I just felt like they were a vehicle to kind of help keep to, to kind of build the movie out um, so that it. You know, again, I don't know if there were there were weak spots where it's like the, just with Seth and Evan, like that wasn't testing well or they it, the movie needs something else. But they almost feel, again, kind of like their own side thing. That's just I won't say shoehorned in because, again, we talked about before, like everything winds up getting laced together and it, it all like comes together at the end. But at the end of the day, like it's very interesting that they decide in this movie to do the whole cop side journey. And here's what I would say in a movie that uses the kind of language that it does the only you know hey this didn't age well this is a little bit problematic to me is the depiction of the cops because that's the part that as i was watching it i still thought uh you know bill Hader and seth rogan were hilarious as cops but they're kind of the the police brutality element like the the quote unquote mm. bad cops, the bad cops are depicted as funny in this movie. I think if anything kind of raises an eyebrow, though, it's like, yeah, bad cops like this. You know, what's it like to have a gun? What's well, like having two cocks? But, uh, you know, your second mm -hmm. cock could kill somebody. That line is hilarious, but I'm also like, ooh yeah. I think if the creators of this movie had it to do over, I don't know that the cop subplot would be what it is as depicted still hilarious mm -hmm. but yeah it it's probably the most quote-unquote problematic element of this movie yeah or like when they're going they hit seth with the car and then they're going to pin it on him that it you know oh it's his fault that he jumped out in front of us it's like yeah that there's definitely some of that stuff that you you wouldn't want to try and and portray in, in today's you know political or you know social climate where it's just like i don't think those jokes would land you know, again, I think this movie transports you back and you can laugh at it because it's a time, you know, product of its time. But to your point, if, if this movie was made today and they made those jokes, I'd be like, ooh, I don't know what they were thinking when they wrote that and greenlit this whole cop side quest thing. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. It's hilarious. And I don't think that the, the cops as depicted have any sort of malice or prejudice. But yeah, when you're talking about, hey, we're going to frame somebody uh to cover our own ass. It just, it hits a little close to home. I think we talked about it in Don't Look Up. And, and I think, hey, Superbad was made in 2007. You can absolutely excuse that. Whereas something like Don't Look Up, the comedy just feels a little too realistic. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the only element of Superbad that I don't think has aged all that well. Yep. I can agree with that. So, uh, with that, I, I think... I, I'm pretty sure I know what uphill is going to be about. Um, 
So we are in the the what is it uh, Hill to Die on trilogy. So the whole point of the Hill to Die on trilogy is we chose one movie with an actor, one movie with a writer, and one movie with the director with the last name Hill. Uh, for this movie, it was Jonah Hill. He was the actor. Um, so I'm pretty sure we're gonna dive into just Jonah Hill, his performance, and then what he's done since. Yes, correct. And I also I wanted to talk to you about if you could transport yourself to 2007 and you watch this movie you kind of have three leads. You have Michael Sarah, you have Jonah Hill, and you have uh, Christopher Mintz Ploss uh, making his film debut, which interestingly enough, uh, Emma Stone also, this is her I was going to say, debut. don't you forget Emma Stone, because this started my love, my love affair with Emma Stone. Yeah, it, on its own, it's incredible that this movie introduced, I mean, I, I would consider her an A-list actress at this point. Absolutely. I, so it's crazy to think that this movie introduced both her and Christopher Mintz Ploss. But if you look at it career trajectory wise, at least with the male leads, I didn't think any of the three would have long lasting careers because I felt like they would be a little bit one note. Michael Sarah would be kind of the the awkward uh character and that's all that he could ever play. Christopher Mintz Ploss would always just kind of be the nerdy guy, which he absolutely continued with like something like role models and even kick ass. Uh, but mm-hmm. Jonah Hill, I mean, Jonah Hill, I don't, you probably know this two time Oscar nominee, Jonah Hill. I, I don't think I would have ever predicted that watching this movie. Uh, Jonah Hill definitely had, I think the strongest performance. And I don't know if that's because his was just so much different than everyone else's that allows him to shine because of how over the top he was allowed to be. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where, I mean, we say the trajectory, like, you're, you're right, uh, Sarah, I mean, basically one note. He always kind of played that kind of awkward, nerdy kid. He, I mean, he had a, a pretty substantial, like, career in that mid to late 2000s there, and then I don't know where he is. He's kind of fallen off. Um, Mince, what's his name, Mince? Christopher Mince, Mince Ploss. Mince Ploss. He, I, I, the only thing I can remember him in after Superbad was Kick Ass, and then after that, I, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, he might. I think I read a thing where they all met back up for the This Is the End, which was like where you know the post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, but Jonah Hill, holy shit, did he take off? And I mean, just diversify. I also think in in reading again, you know, some of the the trivia on this, like I guess. Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill are, are pretty good friends, and I assume that's because of their comedic style. Like Jonah Hill is just legitimately a, a really funny person. Like they they were saying a lot with um, "Don't Look Up" that ultimately, like they would just do takes where Jonah Hill was allowed to ad lib jokes and stuff like that, and then afterward try and and you know they decided what they wanted. But uh, you know, to look at at Sarah and. Uh, Mince Plus, what what they've been doing? I mean, it looks like a lot of like voice acting and TV series is where they've 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 landed. Not a whole lot of movies, which makes sense because I feel like they can still portray that what they've been pigeonholed into. Like Michael Sarah can play the awkward kind of kid. Uh, Mince Plus can play kind of the nerdy character. If you're doing that in voice acting. You know, your voice does not age the way your appearance does. So that makes sense. It's just crazy to think that this movie produced, again, 
Emma Stone, complete A-list. You know, Jonah Hill. I don't think we mentioned Jonah Hill directed a movie at this point, mid '90s. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I have not. I saw it. Uh, it feels Did autobiographical, you? like yeah. super bad, but without being as funny. So it's kind of just a. I'm sure it was important to Jonah Hill to make. I don't think it was a great movie, but still, he's got the clout to direct a a triple A kind of feature. Yeah, I mean, just even even if you just want to look at his his filmography, I mean, he just took off and like it's like he he started running and never stopped. And again, I don't know if it's a credit to his talent or obviously there's a lot of it like of people you know, like when you've got Seth Rogen who's so well known in Hollywood, if you've kind of yoked yourself to him, I think a lot of opportunities kind of present itself, not to say that he hasn't created his own, but I mean, he's just, he's got so much more work than everybody else. And, you know, in like good roles too. I mean, Hail Caesar, he was in that 21 in 22 Jump Street. He was the, he did some voice acting for How to Train Your Dragon in the Lego movies. Even if it was just like a a, a cameo, you know, somebody obviously wanted him there. Um, believe it or not, he had a cameo in Not at the, the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian. <laughs> apparently an uncredited cameo. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just crazy to see the level of talent. And then again, not only with Seth Rogen, he's also good friends with DiCaprio and he does a lot of stuff with him. Like you got the Wolf of Wall Street, you've got Don't Look Up. Like I think he, Jonah Hill just seems to be like somebody that people like to be around and he's incredibly talented like this isn't a like he winds up getting shoehorned into stuff like an adam sandler group but it's just i think he definitely people like to be around him and they like having him in in their projects because it's like it's all top-notch work too it's not like he's got a lot of these like little weird shitty projects it's like no he's in like top top build movies and uh i have not seen it i don't know if you have but he worked with emma stone again on maniac man i loved it i i i will actually probably go back and watch it's a little weird i'm not gonna say it's david lynch weird um because i don't want to scare you away from it yeah, it's not God. it's it's not but it, it's a little weird i i did i love it was a miniseries i loved the miniseries again it's a little weird and it does a lot it, it, you know dives a lot into kind of mental health and type stuff uh but i i highly recommend that Especially, I think it's like eight episodes. It's on Netflix. It's it's not hard to get through. Yeah, then I'm absolutely going to watch that uh, in the near future. But yeah, I the the whole uphill, you know, five point of inspection. It's just crazy to me to watch this movie and watch Jonah Hill's performance, and then to think that in the future he is going to be the second best part of a Martin Scorsese movie. Because I, mm-hmm. I think behind DiCaprio, he is the best part of Wolf of Wall Street. It's just incredible to view that career arc that he has had and, and will continue to have. I, I always enjoy when he's in something. Yeah, I mean, he was fantastic in Moneyball. It's just He has range, which is what's crazy. Like Again, watching this, you think he's just going to be one of those hothead, crazy comedian guys. It's always going to be... That's his role. He's always the loud, obnoxious, like fat guy or something like that. And it's like, A, he lost a ton of weight so that he couldn't be called the fat guy anymore. And then beyond that, like he just has a, a ton of range where he can do those serious roles and without any comedic touch to it. Like he's just able to come in there and 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 handle that. So yeah, I, I very much seeing how much de- talent debuted this, I it's fantastic to watch where Jonah Hill went. And just again, looking at his filmography, just like, man, like it is just just a laundry list of fantastic movies. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the last thing I'll say, and, and I don't like to, you know, comment on weight or personal appearance, but just the fact that he is is willing to transform his body. I know like Christian Bale gets a lot of hype for, hey, he, you know, weighed 78 pounds for the machinist and then he did the Dark Knight. But the fact that Jonah Hill is dedicated enough to know, hey, I need to lose weight so that I can open myself up to different roles. Again, I just, it's a teen comedy. Like I, I, I did not foresee this producing two A-list super talented actors. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's another reason why this movie holds up as a classic. Yep. I totally agree. Man, I can't just, the, the laugh, the, the amount of laughs in this movie, like it's just, it's going into most comedies. It's always one of those things where I'm like, okay, I'll get like, it'll be funny. I'll get maybe one, maybe two laugh out loud moments. Like I consider that that's a good comedy. Like that's middle of the road. I enjoyed this comedy, but I can't just go back. No, super bad. is just one of those, like, I just, I laugh through the entire fucking movie. Um, and even, again, they do actually wind up putting in some of, like, the social commentary stuff. Like, when the cops are asking about the perp at the, the convenience store, like, um, well, did he look like, you know, did he look like me or you? And the woman's like, well, did he look like a woman? Like, like, what are you trying to say here? You're just like, it's so awkward. But at the same time, like, yeah, why do you approach it like that? <laughs> Like she's like he was a Caucasian. No, he was not a Jew. Like what? He was an African Jew. He was. Is that what I said? Is that what I said? Stop me! Stop me! Height wise, just stop me. (laughs) Wherever. Okay. Okay, you go down. I'll go up. Like it's somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Okay, just it's fantastic. So so fucking good. Um, alrighty. I think we've we've exhausted five points. Are you ready to get in some chop shop? Absolutely. Alrighty, this week in Shop Shop, I actually... struggled and i know you're gonna call my shit i i I found a good i landed in a good spot afterward but like i loved the movie this is i i was telling my wife this you can tell how much i enjoyed a movie by the amount of notes i took on the movie because if i didn't take a lot of notes it typically means that like i just i'm so engrossed in it that like i just i'm absorbing the movie so much and i don't like if a movie doesn't get me well like i just i'm just i'm spending more time ripping it apart than i am actually watching it just because of how poor i think it is like i love this movie so much i almost couldn't find a way to want to alter it right um even though that's kind of the name of the game here so uh i got blockbuster (laughs) what did you get you got oscar bait oscar bait okay i was gonna say i hope to god you didn't get family friendly this week because that would have been rough Yeah, and I want to say, just to echo you, my chop shop this week is a little bit minimal because I love this movie so much that I found that I could just put a couple of tweaks in it and it would still be roughly the same movie. I mean, I'm notorious for chopping up a movie to the point where it's not recognizable as the original (laughs) content. I mean, for Christ's sake, I had, you know, the producers uh, 
end up in an apocalypse now jungle with Oompa Loompas <laughs> fucking killing Nazis. So this week I, I played it much closer to the best as far as what the movie actually was. Yep. Uh, so what the, do you would you like to, to start us off? Uh, yeah, I'll lead it off. Mine's mine's pretty bare bones. Um, so I got Oscar bait this week. What I wanted to do was look back at the Oscar nominated movies of like the last, you know, 20 to 30 years to see, hey, is there anything that kind of fits with what Superbad is doing? And you know what, Brett? I found a couple of movies that I feel like I could just kind of in Hollywood chop shop tradition kind of weld on to mm-hmm. Superbad. Okay. And the two movies, and and I'll just hit you with the movies to see if you've seen either one of them, but I wanted to combine the Cider House rules with Goodwill Hunting to try to make Superbad an Oscar-worthy movie. I have seen both. I'm interested to see where this goes. Okay. I have not seen Cider House rules, so full disclosure, I just read the Wikipedia. (laughs) I have seen Goodwill Hunting. I do enjoy it. How do you like Um, them apples? So... What I'm going to have, it's a slight tweaks to this movie. Instead of Seth and Evan, they're still best friends. They've still been best friends since childhood, but they're both going to grow up in a group home together. Okay. And that's where the kind of Cider House rules comes in. Uh, Seth's parents were drug addicts who lost their son to the state. Uh, Evan, he'll have come from good parenting, but he lost both his parents to a car accident. Uh, and with no other living relatives, that's how he ended up in the in the care of the state. Um, so, you know, we'll have a little bit to establish that they've been childhood friends. I think this movie did a great job of we don't this movie. I don't think we discussed it, it takes place all in one day. And yet mm-hmm. I feel like I understand the relationship between these two characters and their families. I don't know. I don't know if, if you agree. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's supposed to they manage to. You understand a ten-year relationship through a through a, a single day. Yeah, and, and that's this movie is, is perfect. They, they execute that perfectly. But um, so by high school, they're going to meet Fogel, aka McLovin, uh, and he's going to be pretty much the way he is in the film. But he's going to have that spoiled rich kid flavor, where he's not necessarily popular, but he's popular because. He's able to get, you know, prescription drugs. He, you know, he steals prescription mm-hmm. drugs from his mom. He's he's kind of a kid that nobody really likes, but because he can host great parties, kids like him and want to gravitate towards him. I mean, that's not much different than how he was portrayed in this movie. It was just with his subsect because Seth wanted nothing to do with him until he found out he had the fake ID and could get them the alcohol. Right. So, yeah, we're not stretching too much there. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, of course, Evan has been accepted to Dartmouth, uh, you know, on the merit of his academic performance. Again, Seth is more of a slacker. He applies to Dartmouth more just because, hey, can I follow my best friend, even though I don't really have the the academic chops to do it. And, of course, he gets declined. Um, But for all his academic shortcomings, Seth in the group home is kind of someone that the younger kids gravitate towards. Um, they love him. He he handles them well. Um, yeah, so while he's not a scholar, he has a natural touch with 
taking care of the other kids in the in the group home. So um much like in Superbad, Becca's gonna be having her party and he's she's gonna ask Seth to provide the liquor. And you know, Fogel, his bad boy status, he's gonna get asked for help to provide the the drugs and the liquor for the party. But of course Fogel's gonna go way overboard. Um and that's what leads to the cops invading the party. Um, and while all of this is occurring, you know, trying to get Fogel to provide uh, the party favors, so to speak, uh, Evan's going to be worried about Seth. He's like, hey, you know, I know you're, you didn't get into Dartmouth, but you've got a bright future ahead of you. You know, Fogel is a bad influence. He's a rich kid. He, he's just going to cause problems for you. I, I want you to be careful. Because mm-hmm. uh, Evan, I think, is is much more the cautious character in Superbad. So he's going to display that again here. Um, so we're going to climax with the party. And it's going to still get busted by Slater and Michaels, which, to, to backtrack to the movie real quick, I love when they show up and bust the party and Bill Hader <laughs> delivers the, yeah, as soon as they open the door, he's like, oh, no, it's the cops. <laughs> I love I love Bill Hader. Uh, I love when he's yeah. dancing at the party too. Like he's at their party drinking their alcohol, and he's just in the living room dancing. Like, <laughs> yeah, as much as as much as the cops are problematic in some respects in this movie, it is fun to see that they're not they're not coming down on the kids with a with an iron fist. Mm-hmm. It feels like maybe ten years ago they were our leads in Superbad. You know, they were the nerdy kids in high school. I think that plays well. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the party's going to get busted by Slater and Michaels. And they're going to bust all three of our leads. McLovin, Seth, and Evan. And... Sorry, I'm just reading my own notes here. Got this part out. Um, so the cops are basically like, hey, this is a, a party with teenagers. We found, you know, alcohol. We found all sorts of illicit drugs. We can't sweep this under the rug. Somebody's taking a big time fall for this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have the heartfelt moment where Fogel realizes, hey, my life is made. I've got rich parents. They can get me out of this. I'm not going to let these other two kids take the fall for this. And Fogel is ultimately going to take responsibility knowing that he's going to get away because he's got rich parents. Um, And then that's going to lead to Seth and Evan being kind of released by the cops. Hey, we're going to arrest Fogel. We'll work it out with his parents. You guys get out of here. So much like in the movie, the cops are going to be cool, quote unquote, and let the kids get away with it. They just they have to nab Fogel knowing that that he'll get away with it because of his connections. And that'll lead to Seth and Evan having their kind of sleeping bag moment where Evan is like, hey, I'm worried about you. I'm going off to Dartmouth. I want you to be okay." And ultimately, this is where the Cider House Rules comes in. Evan's going to go off to Dartmouth. Seth is going to go to a local community college, but he's also going to, now that he's 18, he's he's aged out of the group home. He's going to take over the group home and help mm-hmm. other 
young kids find their way in life. Uh, and Evan obviously is going to go off to Dartmouth, but he's going to pursue an academic career that will then allow him to assist the group home in some sort of way. You could say that he's going to be like a, to go back to a previous episode, maybe he'll be a Sandy Cohen kind of lawyer that helps gets these, get the kids out of trouble. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Evan's going to end the movie going to Dartmouth uh, to pursue like a law degree. And Seth is going to take a job at the foster home while doing community college classes. Uh, and that's where we're going to wrap it up. I like it. No, that's uh, I mean, you kept the heart there. Definitely bringing in the the group home as some Oscar bait worthy, uh, yeah, content. And of course, Seth, I forgot to mention this element, but Seth is going to constantly go back to, "Hey, I'm in the group home because I'm from bad stock. You know, my parents were drug addicts. They were always in prison. They were always getting arrested. You're only here because you had great parents and they died." Kind of trying to mm -hmm. betray that yin and yang. Um, you know, Seth feels like he was always meant to be in the group home, whereas Evan is only there due to bad circumstance. And so it, it kind of, in an Oscar bait way, does that odd couple thing. Well, too, and it also creates an avenue for Evan to basically tell Seth that, like, he's the the owner of his own destiny and that he can't continue to blame that on his own misfortunes. And that kind of gives, again, Seth that opportunity to grow up and then be like, you know what, you're right. And I'm going to make sure that the, you know, these other kids are taken care of and they have their, their opportunities. So no, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And again, I love the movie so much. I just wanted to make minor tweaks. I was trying to think of, of where the Oscar bait could come from. So mm -hmm. yeah, as you said, group home, perfect Oscar bait. Beautiful chop chop, Travis. I, I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to yours. I got Blockbuster, all right? And I, str I struggled with this, I'm going to be honest. I, I finally found a rhythm, all right? Because I had to think about this. I'm like, what would I do to change this to a Blockbuster? All right? So I did what any mu movie exec does, right? I had to go and find an IP that I could attach it to that would immediately bring people in. So I decided... What video game franchise hasn't had a movie come out yet that would get tons of people, at least nerds, you know, excited, right? And it has to be a movie that requires our heroes to go in search of something, right? Maybe put themselves into some danger. And I came to the conclusion that Fallout needed a movie starring Jonah Hill. <laughs> I fucking love Fallout, so I am incredibly hyped for this chop shop all right so i attached i attached my super bad script to fallout all right so the movie opens with uh credits I, uh, very similar to i don't know if you've seen uh the 2000s day of the dead uh with like the uh is it day of the dead yeah with um Romero when I, he that was the not Dawn of the Dead. The no, 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 it was it was it was Dawn of the Dead. It was the, yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Um, oh, okay. When they remade Hell that, yeah, with, it, so it's all the news basically going over, and it's got Johnny, Johnny Cash's Cash. yeah. So something very similar to that. So the movie opens. The opening credits are over. War breaking out. Atomic bombs exploding and all that. Maybe a Nuka Cola for some reason. Commercial is kind of you know put in there somewhere. And as the, you know the the video continues, um, it'll be people being escorted into bomb shelters called vaults. Um, 
And uh, as it continues, it pans out and it pans out and suddenly it's the a projector screen in a classroom showing basically what happened and how everybody has, has come to live in the faults. So uh, we're in a classroom of about 20 children from ages 13 to 17. A teacher is explaining how families were moved into the vaults. So now we're giving some backstory for anybody who's not familiar with the franchise. And now the brave, you know, at this point, uh, there are now the brave few that venture into the wasteland and they bring back provisions to the community. So it's a little different where people are still living in the vault. They've gone into the wasteland, but we're using this as a safe space, right? Um, so... They go into the wasteland and they bring back provisions for the community. The teacher's lecture begins to fade and we focus on our protagonists, Seth and Evan. Two students weeks away from graduating and beginning their vault occupations. As the two leave... Hold on, hold so on. Can I stop you for a second? Uh -huh. They're graduating... What do you mean? You said vault occupations. So yes. Like so I figure we... I, because of the way that this movie is merging with super bad it can't be like a traditional fallout where basically it's like oh the vault opens and you go back and never come back instead what this is is the vault is still a community but they know so they can go vocation. into the wasteland they're gonna have I jobs said, yeah i said i mean occupations works does it not uh, i mean vocation to me says more they're gonna have okay. a job in the vault I, I, I just want to clarify that part okay how excited are you that you're going to cut me off to correct me with vocation to, to I just, occupation? I'm trying to live in the world, Brett, because okay. you merged super bad and Fallout, two Excuse of my favorite me. things. I Excuse just want to be a 360 view of this. So I'm sorry, go ahead. They're vocations. The teacher's lecture begins to fade as we focus on our protagonists, Seth and Evan, two students weeks away from graduating and meeting their vault vocations. Thank you. Thank you. As the two leaves, someone asks... Um, how the two are going to survive without each other. Evan says he'll be fine and Seth can reapply for a vault job uh, after a few years of being in the uh, wasteland scavenger. The two break out into conversation uh, about making the most of the time they've got before they start their, their, their jobs within the vault. Right. The group of graduates is assigned to meet uh, with their assessment or their, their leaders of whatever, you know, division or group, they've been put into um there evan meets a nurse where uh, he'll be put into the med bays and work as with the, the medical field seth meets a scavenger jules meets with a scientist she'll be working with jesse meets with a security officer and fogel who has already been working within the control room meets uh, his supervisor while they're all talking the scavenger talks about the perks of walking the wasteland like the booze that you can get from the trader's camp not too far from the vault opening again kind of just a a weird sketchy guy you know he's he, clearly the wasteland has, has started to wither away he was a vault dweller and now he's he's actually kind of enjoying the wasteland more but he still has his his obligation back to his family back at the vault um after meeting the meet and greet the group leaves and talks about the graduation party jules is throwing there are, uh there will be a current class as well as some younger and some older kids i figure we need to have like a group uh, the vault, there's not going to be a lot of children. So now that's why we're bringing in, you know, there's, there's additional generations here. Um, um, Jules makes a comment about wishing that she could get some alcohol, but knows that it'll be basically impossible. This is where Seth, remembering what the scavenger told him, tells Jules that he can get, the, get them alcohol, not to worry about it. Jules is ecstatic. Seth now realizes this is his way, you know, of, of kind of cementing, uh, you know, some relationship before he has to go out into the wasteland. 
Um, so now Seth has to convince Evan to sneak out into the wasteland with him real quick to get the booze because Seth doesn't want to go alone. And Evan is his, his partner in crime. Uh, it'll be in and out. Nothing to worry about. Super easy, right? He knows exactly where the location is. He has a locator that the scavenger gave him at the meet and greet. So he knows exactly where to go. It'll be just a few minutes. On his pit boy. Yeah, on his pit boy. So Evan is reluctant, but Seth convinces him that it'll give him the opportunity to see and treat wounds out in the wasteland. So it's going to help him, you know, with his studies. So he agrees. The two of them go to see Fogel, knowing that because of his access to the control room, they can open the vault door and help them sneak out. Fogel has been an apprentice within the control room and has access to the vault door and agrees to open the door just long enough for Seth and Evan to get out, to venture into the wasteland, and get back with the wasteland booze. The two enter the wasteland, and things almost immediately go south. Seth's pit boy is broken, um, so they have no way of figuring out where the camp is. Evan wants to go back, but Seth is adamant that they have to get the booze. Seth tells Evan it's okay because he remembers where the scavenger told him, and the two continue. Back at the base, security is trying to locate Seth and Evan after Jesse reports them missing. They enlist the help of Fogel because he was friends with the two of them. Security takes Fogel, and they have several, like, you know moments much like super bad where it's like we're just seeing how the vault operates by seeing different like you know calls that have been made to security and gives us a better understanding of what's going on in the vault back in the wasteland things have gotten worse for seth and evan they've been attacked by raiders with seth getting injured evan is forced to scrounge for supplies in an abandoned warehouse and tends to seth's injuries shortly after that while exploring a nearby town the two encounter a death claw and are forced to flee for their lives as the monster causes chaos and destruction around them after escaping the beast evan says he's had enough and he's going back he's furious at this point right he's angry this is like this is supposed to be easy seth has brought him down this is what always happens the two get into a fight and Seth tells Evan that there's no guarantee that he'll make it a few years in order to reapply. That he's a fat slob and he's not cut out for surviving in a nuclear wasteland, let alone helping other people survive in it. He just wants to get as much life experience in the two weeks before someone comes across his, uh, the buzzards picking from his fat corpse. Right about this time, a band of soldiers from the Brotherhood of Steel stumble across them while ki- in killing the Deathclaw. While he asks the couple of vaulters what they're doing out in the Westland, Seth tells them about the camp. One of the soldiers laughs and says that the camp is only about two miles up the road. They must have just missed it. The two get the booze and return to the party, but it isn't long before security breaks in and detains Seth and Evan. When they get back, the two are suspended and held in vault jail until security can decide what to do with them. Due to his skills in the Wasteland, Evan is allowed to remain on the health track, but due to Seth's injuries, he's not able to become a scavenger anymore. He's put on custodial duty, and he sees it as a win because he'll be safe and close to Evan and Jules as he'll always have messes he can clean up for them. And that ends the movie. I I forgot that this is a video. We're doing video, but people listening to this cannot see the video. So, holy fucking shit. I think this might... <laughs> be my favorite chop shop that you've ever done i mean i'll admit that i'm an unabashed fallout fan uh goddamn kudos to you that if nothing else this expands my horizons on what i would like to do for future chop shops if i get blockbuster because god 
damn, I love this universe. I I want more of it. <laughs> well, and I figured with the blockbuster, with the Evan and, and Seth being attacked by the Raiders and the Death Claws and the, the Brotherhood of Still Killing the Death Claw, that gives you plenty of action, which you have to have in a blockbuster these days. So, you know... There's not a lot to write about with that, but you know, you know, just visualize how those those would take place. So, oh, holy shit, holy shit! Yeah, I didn't even know, the sequel will have mutants because we didn't even get to mutants. <laughs> I mean, Fallout, I love because it has a lot of mods. I hope that somebody listening to this makes some some super bad fallout mods because i will play the shit out of that <laughs> get seth and some power armor oh so well done sir well done thank you i i appreciate it so like i said until until i figured out to attach it to an ip i was like i don't know what the fuck to do with this and then as soon as like okay fallout i'll, I'll make a fallout movie with this i i fell into a i think a good a good stride which let me say this this might be a little bit of a uh, a sidebar, but how long till we get the Fallout movie? Because I feel like that's coming. There or has to be one series. in pre production. There has to be a script floating around right now. There's no way that they. If we're getting a Borderlands movie, there's no way someone is not floating around a Fallout movie. Yeah, I, I'm quite stunned that we haven't had it already. Yeah. Uh, especially with now, I, I believe. Uh, Microsoft owns Bethesda, so I can't imagine that they're not floating that IP around to try and make some more money off of it. I mean, can we go ahead as a Hollywood chop shop and go ahead and call this? <laughs> Within the next two years, we're going to hear about a Fallout movie being in pre-production. Would you, would oh, you say? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think judging on how well the Borderlands movie does, it comes out very shortly after that. Which I'm not sure. Do we know when the Borderlands movie is supposed to drop? And even, which is going to be weird because the Borderlands movie, I think, is a pretty far departure from the actual source material. I don't know much about Borderlands. I, the, the amount that I do know, I feel like it's going to just be, hey, let's make Mad Max, but we've got some, some IP attached to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case because, again, I have not played the game. It is coming out. It is supposed to come out this year. I don't think I have an exact date. I mean, I'll go Holy see shit. it because I love Kate Blanchett, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. What the fuck is Eli what else has Eli Roth done? I know that name, but I feel like it's. Oh, he did Cabin Fever. He and does Police the torture Bastards. porn movies. Yeah, that's going to be a weird one. Huh? We'll see how that plays out. All right. <laughs> let's jump into some blue book <laughs> all right travis the sticker value of this here picture was 20 million dollars estimated what do you think it brought in u.s and canada well it's got some canadian connections so i'm gonna assume the a? canadian box office helped um did people love this movie as much as we did? That's the question you have to ask yourself. I'm going to say... I'm going to go high here. I'm going to say it made $88 million. Gross U.S. and Canada, $121 million. Actually, it's $121.5 million. Do you want to guess shit. what... Yeah, do you want to guess what the gross worldwide was? 
I'm going to say 175 million. I don't I don't feel like this would translate as much to European and Asian audiences. Just to yeah. guess. You you weren't far off. It's about 171 million. That's what it grossed worldwide. So it added what about 50 50 mil? So still basically the cost of the movie. So of the movie twice over. But yeah, this this movie was a theatrical success. <laughs> All right. So now let's do our favorite segment, tag and title. I actually do have some alternate tag or some alternate titles this week, so we'll go ahead and do those first. Um, so the working title, or I guess uh, secret title, U.S. title for this. Do you know what it is? No, because I will say the title of this movie feels very little to do with the content. So mm-hmm. I would assume some of the international titles are are all over the board. So I was going to say, you actually named the kind of alternate U.S. title that was working. Um, and it was also put on certain film reels when they were actually shipped out to theaters. Uh, but the alternate was Separation Anxiety, which I can oh. see why they didn't name it that because it's not a very fun name. And I think this movie has, even the opening credits, there's so much energy um, that I think separate that name would have actually probably pulled this movie down at least its opening weekend before word of mouth was able to get around. But um, so here we go. I, I pulled some of my favorite international translations. So in Peru, this movie was called Super Cool. In Estonia, it was called Super Bad, Really Hard. <laughs> in Italy. <laughs> This was a pre-release title for it, but it was super bad. Pigs behind the counters. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means, but I felt it needed to be mentioned. I'm sorry. What um, country was that? Uh, Italy. And Italy had Italy. another title that made even less sense. The actual, uh, the, the Google translation of it. I was like, I'm just not even going to try and, and do this one. Um, in Poland, the translation was super bug. So I don't know if that means anything in poland or not but my my all-time favorite was japan where the movie was titled super bad virgin wars (laughs) (laughs) that one that one was my favorite (laughs) um i there's no reason for me to say this other than an inside joke with you and me, but when you said Japan, I thought of The Last Samurai and the way that the emperor says, Japan. And then, I'm sorry, it was The Virgin Wars? The Virgin, just not the, just super bad, colon, Virgin Wars. In Japan, we have The Virgin War. <laughs> uh yep so that one that was my favorite alternate title oh Um, christ but now let's get into tagline so travis as always i'm going to give you three taglines one tagline is an official tagline for this movie one tagline is for a movie i found adjacent and one tagline was created by yours truly what i need you to do is tell me what the official tagline for super bad was are you ready i am ready all right, here we go. How hard can they be? 
come and get some, smack destiny in the face. Those are your three taglines. Wow, I think this is the most difficult one you've ever presented. Uh, smack destiny in the face. That feels like it has to be another movie. That that doesn't, to me, fit with this movie. Um, and I don't think you made it up. So I'll say that one is for another movie. Uh, give me the other two. Come and get some. How hard can they be? Come and get some. I'll say is the ta- the is a official tagline of this movie. Uh, leaving the other to be when you created. This is the least confident I've ever been about this particular uh, category in our our podcast. So I'm I'm gonna let you just reveal the answers. You are a hundred percent correct. You got all of them. Uh, I can't tell can- you what the other movie is though. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it is a sleeper hit for me. It did not do well in the theaters. It also came out in 2007. Starring Andy Samberg. Danny McBride and Bill Hader make an appearance in it. Hot Rod? Hot Rod. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, no, I I enjoy Hot Rod. Oh, I love Hot Rod. God, I didn't realize that was the same year. Bill Hader was in both of those movies. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. All right. Yeah, Danny McBride t- also has a cameo in, in Superbad. I don't know if you yeah. knew that. Yeah, he's in the background of the uh, the cocaine house party. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, it was one of those, like, I almost immediately thought of Hot Rod when, with this, with, with the cast and kind of the story, and I was like, oh, shit, these came out in the same fucking year. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever do Hot Rod on the show, but let's see. I want to see what they're... Oh, boy. Yeah. So it it's Blue Book, because I said it was it was a flop. Um, it cost $14 million to make, and it grossed worldwide $14 million. <laughs> <laughs> um it's opening it doesn't even give me oh no that's it doesn't even give me the budget that's what i'm looking at okay no it grossed 14 million dollars i don't even have a budget for this movie i'm gonna i'd have to dig to find out how much it cost yeah i think if you it listener if you're listening to this and you really enjoyed super bad absolutely take a shot on hot rod i don't i don't think you would be disappointed uh, according to this, it cost $25 million. It made 14 basically worldwide. So, yeah, Hot, Hot Rod was, was a flop. It is a fantastic movie, though. Little, little less heart. It's more of, I mean, it's Andy Samberg and his group, The Lonely Island. I think it's their first stab at a movie. It is very funny, though, um, especially if you like Andy Samberg. Will Arnett shows up in it. So big fan of Will Arnett. Yep. Alrighty, sir. Do you have a time capsule for us this week? I do. Um, I hate to say I, it. I honestly thought Maniac was going to be the the time capsule because of it being Jonah Hill and Emma Stone together. So, but you you relayed that earlier this episode. So I'm interested to see what this is going to be. 
Well, I, I feel like this is a tradition of the podcast at this point where I pick a time capsule that just, <laughs> I won't say ruins the vibe, but changes the vibe. Oh, um, what are you, what are you going to do? You already brought up American History X. How are you, what are you <laughs> about to talk about? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, let me move it. Let me move into a somber tone. Uh, because honestly, as I was doing the chop shop, I did not intend for it to be somber, but I picked out a particular actor who shows up who is in the um, the Danny McBride universe. Uh, it's an actor named Ben Best. Are you familiar with Ben Best? Not by name. So he plays in this movie, Superbad, Quince Danbury, which I don't think that name ever gets spoken on screen. So no worries if you don't remember it. But he is the guy who realizes that uh, Seth has some period blood on him. Mm -hmm. He's at the cocaine party. Uh, that gentleman, Ben Best, played. Have you seen The Foot Fist Way with Danny McBride? It's one of the few Danny McBrides I have not seen. I strongly recommend it. I would guarantee that you have at least one laugh out loud moment. Uh, but he plays Chuck the Truck in that. He was also a co-creator of uh, Eastbound and Down. And uh, I'm using him in the past tense because he passed away in September 2021, one day before his 47th birthday. So, oh, damn. Uh, yeah, again, it, it's not a lighthearted fun time capsule but i wanted to show some appreciation for him because he's great in the foot fist way obviously he's got a good comedic mind uh because he co-created eastbound and down and he's an actor in super bad uh briefly uh but yeah we we lost him last year so i just wanted to shout out ben best damn that is wow yeah, sorry to wait, ruin the good time. But, I say, what uh, way to take the comedy episode and decide to just completely destroy it, huh? But yeah, check out check out the Foot Fist way. If you're listening to this uh, and you're as equally uh, upset with me as Brett is because I just just brought this down to a somber tone, check out the Foot Fist way. You'll get some laughs. Uh, it, it's a funny low-budget movie. I think that was probably the debut of uh, Danny McBride on film. Okay, well, final thoughts on the movie, Travis. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, I think it's pretty clear I loved it. Um, again, I just think every generation at least should have their their comedy, their coming of age comedy. I feel like we have it in super bad. Um, I'll probably talk to you off podcast about how much I think this movie relates to us. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't want to waste the audience's time with that. But yeah, this. This was the perfect movie for me. It hit it hits me in the feels and it makes me laugh out loud multiple times so yeah i i love this movie um comedies tend to not age well maybe in in 10 or 15 more years this one won't but uh again it, you can say that it's problematic for some of its language but again if you watch the whole movie it, it has a heart so high recommend what about you absolutely uh i think this movie's fantastic 
I mean, you do have to have an appreciation for crude humor. I mean, the whole dick, the dick drawing joke, and then the end credits. I mean, you you have to appreciate that that crude humor. Um, if you don't, you're probably going to hate this movie with a passion. I again just laughed so much at this movie, and again with the heart. I mean, it's just it is one of those perfect comedies to me, where it's not just a stupid comedy or watching people get hurt. Like it's not slapstick. Like there's just so much. The writing is so good. The acting is so good. Like I definitely think it's definitely top five comedies for me. Um, but I highly, highly recommend recommend watching it. If you enjoy our podcast, you should enjoy Superbad. I would think. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and I think most importantly, you you truly believe the friendship at the heart of this movie. Yeah, it's a crude comedy, but you absolutely believe that these two characters grew up together. So, mm. yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Alrighty. I just, I, I, anytime like I'm ready to call, I just, I think of another like when, <laughs> fuck, is this, does he look like an Eminem? And Marshall Mathers, the rapper, Listen, I know we're about to wrap up, Brett, but I just, I seriously have to ask you. My brother drove in from Scottsdale. You're not going to sing for him? Mm, no, I don't, I don't. I don't think it's a good idea. You know what, Brett? No, let's take it out. Let's take it out. Let's sing a little These Eyes. These, These Eyes. They're longing for you. These arms. What are we reviewing next week, though, Brett? Oh, we are reviewing Horns by Joe Hill. By Joe Hill. So the uh, Die on the Hill trilogy will continue with Joe Hill, who uh, wrote the novel Horns, uh, made into a movie starring Harry Potter, a.k.a. Daniel Radcliffe. So uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Not to, I'm sure it'll come up in the, the review, but Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. So I'm sure that will be interesting to see how far the apple fell from the tree. Bye. All right. You ready to do the countdown? Yep. And it's going to be one, two, three, and then on three, we clap, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. All right, here we go. One, One two, two, three. three. <laughs> it's so off. It's so off. All right, one more time. We'll do it after three. We'll go one, two, three, and then clap. All right? Oh, good. Thank you for the Windows security update. Sorry if that came through in the podcast, but... I'm going to go pee real quick because... Uh... I don't want to have to piss through my my reading here. Listener, if you're listening to this. Did you wash your hands? No. <sighs> I didn't think so. <laughs> I licked them, though. Is that all right? I like to keep the germs to myself. That's fair. That's fair. Do you have yeah. an issue? Uh, yes, I just realized my laptop is not plugged up.
to power. So right now my battery's fine, but I don't want it to die in the middle. So if you can give yeah. me like 10 seconds, I'm going yeah, to grab my backpack. All right. You can use this for the wrap if you would like. This is actually fantastic because now with the video feature, I saw you go fuck and I was like, oh, I know there's a problem. So I need to find a place to pause. <laughs> what a fucking professional you are. Give me one second. <laughs> and, and side note, clearly I am not. <laughs> I thought you had something to say. Oh, no, I, I, I was just thinking, yeah, theatrical success. Remember those? <laughs> All right. Theatrical successes, yeah. Mm-hmm.